Okay, you can be opening up your Bibles to uh, the book of John. Uh, we have been uh, studying the book, the Gospel of John, since last September, I believe it is. And uh, we're going to continue that for a few more weeks. Uh, got a lot of stuff to talk about from the book of John. And last week, you know, we talked about the way the world would know who the disciples of Jesus were, right? And if you were here, you should remember that we said, Jesus said this was a new commandment that he gave them. He had just washed their feet. He's getting ready to go to the cross. The disciples have no idea what's going on. They're wondering, what is he talking about? And he's washing our feet. And Peter says, what are you doing? And Jesus is showing them that even though he is the master, he's the teacher, he's God, he is humbling himself to a lowly servant to serve them. And he's giving them an example of what it means to be his disciple. And then he goes on to say, I now give you a new commandment, that you love one another just as I have loved you. And of course we saw where that was not a, a command that they didn't have necessarily. We, we look back in Leviticus, right? And we can see in chapter 19 where it says they're to, the Israelites are told to love their neighbor as themselves. But Jesus says this is a new commandment, a new type of love. And so we talked about that, right? That it's what he did for them. You see, he was willing to go to the cross for them. He was willing to sacrifice his life for his disciples. I don't know whether they had ever thought about that maybe before, what that meant, but they truly didn't understand it, did they? They just didn't get it. And then we went on to say, well, you know, it's, it's not just sacrificing hit that he did. It's a sacrifice that we need to be willing to make, right? You know, he's, Jesus said, I, I go to the Father. He knew where he was going, right? And as disciples of Christ, we should know that too, right? We should know where we're going. We should be willing to sacrifice. I don't mean that we need to lay down our lives for someone, although if it ever came to that, perhaps that's something that you need to be able to do. But we need to show our love to another, one another. That's the ultimate thing. It's, in other words, he's saying it's not so much you saying you're a Christian, or it's not so much you're living your life in a certain way, or it's not so much that you're going to a certain church or, or believing a certain thing. The world's going to know who you are because of your love for each other. Your love for each other. You know, we have many examples, and, and this congregation is so, I'm so, we're so blessed here. We have so many here that are willing to just take the time to help others and do for others. Uh, I've seen so many cases of kindness, love, and, and even this week with, with, with Sister Wheeler's funeral. I mean, people came together uh, so quickly to put that together. I, you know, we're so, so blessed to have people that are willing to do that, to take the time out of their lives at a moment's notice to take care of things, provide a meal, uh, go, go to the funeral, help carry on the activities. Brother Kyle did a great job, right? Uh, the, their, their daughters weren't sure where to go to, and, and they, we were able to help them out. It's so wonderful to have a church family, isn't it? What would you do without your church family? Where would you have? You know, I remember one years ago, uh, Jolene had to have surgery, and we had to be at the hospital early in the morning, and they put us in the pre-op, and there, it wasn't a private place. There were other people sitting around getting ready for surgery, and one of the elders came and prayed with us that morning. And I looked around, and you could see some fear on some people's faces. And I, it was so comforting for me. And I wasn't the one even having the surgery, you know. But I was so happy to have that. I felt 
blessed. I felt comforted through that. What would you do without a church family? So that's how the world's going to know us. Jesus said, we'll know you are my disciples by the love that you have for one another. Well, he goes on to say a few other things, and we're going we're to continue that thought a little bit and go into uh, something else that he says here shortly. And let's open up our Bibles to John chapter 13 and begin in verse 36. All right, 13 and 36. And this is right after he had talked about the new commandment, to love one another, and he says, Simon Peter said to him, Lord, where are you going? And there we go. Peter, Peter doesn't know. He's trying to figure it out, right? Jesus answers him, where I am going, you cannot follow me now, but you shall follow me afterward. And Peter said to him, Lord, why can I not follow you now? I will lay down my life for your sake. And then Jesus answered him, and he said, will you lay down your life for my sake? Most assuredly, I say to you, the rooster shall not crow till you have denied me three times. You see, Peter's saying this stuff, right? He's saying it. It's easy to say. But Jesus says, wait a minute. When it comes, you know, when the rubber hits the road, it ain't going to work out like that. Hmm. Interesting that Jesus could tell him that. And I'm sure Peter's going, what? What are you talking about? Of course I will. And we know what happened, right? It came true. And we talked about it last week, how they didn't understand what was going on really and truly until that resurrection, right? Until they had proof that he had risen from the dead and then he ascended into heaven. When that happened, they finally got it, right? They finally understood what he was talking about, that love for one another. And they became the greatest missionary group that's ever lived. They started proclaiming the gospel with boldness, without fear, without fear for their lives. And pretty much every one of them, almost every one of them, paid that ultimate price because of what they were teaching and preaching. So, we know where we're going, right? Do we? If we know where we're going, we should be bold. We should have no fear, right? Easier said than done, is it not? Let's read on. Chapter 14, verse 1. Let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God... Believe also in me. In my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you to myself, that where I am, there you may be also. And where I go, you know, and the way, you know. Now you can imagine the disciples are going, What is he talking about? I don't understand. Verse 5, Thomas said to him, Lord, we do not know where you are going, and how can we know the way? Verse 6, and I've talked about this verse before. This is a verse that you should etch in your memory, be able to, uh, be able to spout it out at a moment's notice. Verse 6, Jesus said to him, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. All right. Two of the most remarkable statements that have ever been found in one verse, right? We've talked about that a little bit. He says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but through him. Jesus claims three things. He claims three things here, the way, the truth, and the life. And he's preparing his disciples for that, right? For that, that great debt that he's going to go to, that resurrection. He's preparing them to fully understand who he is, that he is truly from the Father, as he's been preaching all these last few chapters here. 
I come from the Father, I go to the Father. If you know the Father, you should know me. If you know me, you know the Father because I do what the Father has given me. I do what the Father has told me. And yet still, Philip wondered. Look at verse 7. If you had known me, I'm sorry, uh, verse 7. Yeah. If you had known me, you would have known my Father also. And from now on, you know him and have seen him. Philip said to him, Lord, show us the Father, and it is sufficient for us. What? What's he been doing? Jesus said to him, have I been with you so long, and yet you have not known me, Philip? He who has sent me has seen the Father. So how can you say, show us the Father? Do you not believe that I am in the Father and the Father in me? The words that I speak to you, I do not speak on my own authority, but the Father who dwells in me does the works. Believe me that I am in the Father and the Father in me, or else believe me for the sake of the works themselves. I mean, it, it's flabbergasting, I'm sure, that Philip would still be asking the question, right? You ought to know. He said, look, you've seen the works. You've seen me. You've seen what I've done. Why would you even ask that question, Philip? Interesting, right? Well, Jesus makes a bold claim here, right? He is the way, the truth, and the life. Let's take a look at these three things and see what he's talking about exactly, okay? First of all, he is the way. He's clearly claiming to be the only way to get to God. Okay? Would you agree with that? Yeah. Peter also said the same thing in Acts 4.12. He has given salvation to those who believe in him, and the only way to get to God is through him. Now, is this politically correct? No. In our world today, what do you hear about religion or God? Well, you know, all faiths read to the same place. It doesn't matter so much what you believe as long as you're a good person. Right? Live a good life. If you want to believe in Buddha, or if you want to be Islamic and follow the teachings of Muhammad or whoever, you know, whoever else, I don't know, the, some guru in India, I don't know. It's okay. As long as you're good, you don't hurt anybody, you'll be okay in the end. You'll be in heaven. And when you hear people talk about their loved ones that maybe weren't Christians, they talk about them like they're in heaven, right? I mean, I'm, I'm just being, I'm trying to be honest here, right? Have you heard that? Is the, have you ever thought in your head, well, I'm not so sure? You may not have said that to their face, right? Jesus says the only way of the Father is through him. No other way. Pretty plain, isn't it? Pretty simple. Shouldn't be hard to understand. Now, I'm not telling you to go and tell your colleague at work that they're going to hell because they don't believe in Jesus Christ. That might not be good for your job situation. I don't know. But when someone tells you as long as you live a good life, you're going to heaven, they're wrong. Nobody has lived a good life. Everybody has sinned except Jesus. The only way we can get to the Father is through what he did for us. We can't do it. It's what he did for us. His son. The only way. How do, how do we get there? How does that happen? All right, well, we just read what he said to Philip, right? He's revealed the Father. How has he done that? Through what he's done, his life. John 1, 
He was the Word, the Word was in the beginning, and the Word became flesh and dwelt among men. We have an example of who God is in the flesh. We have that example, and we can read about it in the Scripture. He's revealed Him. What else? Well, let's turn over to the book of Hebrews, and let's look at a few verses. Hebrews tells us a lot about Jesus. And if you've never studied it, and you should have by now, you need to do that. Hebrews chapter 10 reveals a lot of things about what was going on in ancient Israel and how it foreshadowed the coming of Christ. Hebrews chapter 10, let's read a couple of verses from there. Beginning in uh, verse 19. Therefore, brethren, having holding, uh, having, uh, is that boldness? Yeah, having, my eyes are twitching. Therefore, brethren, having boldness to enter the holiest by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way which he consecrated for us through the veil that is his flesh, and having a high priest of the house of God, let us draw near with a true heart and full assurance of faith, having our hearts sprinkled from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. Let us so fast the, host, the, the, the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who promised is faithful. And let us consider one another in order to stir up love and good works, for not, for not forsaking the assembling ourselves together, as is the manner of some, but exhorting one another, and so much the more as you see the day approaching. Now I'm not reading that verse to say you need to be attending the assembly. We talked about that last week. That's of course part of that. What I'm getting at in there is he has become our high priest. He's become that high priest that is our direct contact to the Lord. You know, in ancient Israel, you had a high priest. You had the Levite tribe, the Levite Levitical tribe. They were the ones who did the practices of the, of the sacrifices, the practices of the temple. And you had the high priest who, on the Day of Atonement, once a year, went into the most holy of holies to make atonement for the people's sins. Of course, he had to have the incense to make it murky in there. He had to have the sacrifice. The blood had to be sprinkled on the mercy seat. All the stuff that had to go on there for him to do that. And they had to do that because he was just a man. He was not perfect. He was a sinner just like everybody else. Jesus has now become that perfect high priest, that perfect sacrifice, you might say, as our high priest to get to God. He intercedes for us. Romans 8, 34, which we talked about a few weeks ago. He's now at the right hand of God, and he is interceding for us in heaven. In other words, we no longer have a veil on that most holy of holies. It was torn at the cross. We can now go straight into that throne room. We can pray and talk with God straight in there because we have the intercessor, Jesus Christ, who washes us with his blood. We are made pure. We are made pure through his blood. Does everybody understand that? You see what that means? Sure, we're, 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 we're not pure. We're, we're sinners. We're not perfect. We need Christ. But that is the way God has provided for us to get there. He is our mediator. Hebrews 7, 24 and 25. He lives now to intercede for us as his disciples. So by his life on earth, his death on the cross, and now his service in heaven, Jesus becomes the only way to God. I can't emphasize that enough, you know. I mean, it's in our society today, we so hear, you know, gotta, you got to, you know, tolerate's a good word. You need to be able to tolerate, of course, in certain areas. But when it comes to different religions, 
where it matters where someone might be saved or not. You might need to speak up every now and then. You might need to talk to someone and say, look, I, 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 I believe in freedom of religion and I believe in freedom of expression and all those things, but I'm telling you, there's only one way to God. And if I believe that and I tr think it's truth, then I've got to tell you that. Right? Something we need to think about when we're talking with someone. And that leads us to the next thing. He says he is the truth. What does he mean by that? What is truth? Turn over to John chapter 18. Let's read a couple of verses from there. This is when Jesus is coming before Pilate, before he's about to go to the cross. And let's just read what uh, transpires here. Um, let's see, let's start with verse 33. Then Pilate entered the praetorium again, called Jesus and said to him, Are you the king of the Jews? Jesus answered him, Are you speaking for yourself about this, or did others tell you this concerning me? Pilate answered, Am I a Jew? Your own nation and the chief priest have delivered you to me. What have you done? Notice this verse. Jesus answered, My kingdom is not of this world. If my kingdom were of this world, my servants would fight so that I should not be delivered to the Jews. But now my kingdom is not from here. In other words, he could send angels if he wanted to. And believe me, they, he does that. We've read about that in many places in the Old Testament where there were things going on unseen to man, right? Remember Daniel? When the angel couldn't get to him because he was detained by the principalities of darkness? That goes on. He says, my kingdom is not of this world. Therefore, Pilate said to him in verse 37, Therefore to him, are you a king then? Jesus answered, You say rightly that I am a king. For this cause I was born... And for this cause I have come into to the world, that I should bear witness to the truth. Everyone who is of the truth hears my voice. Pilate said to him, What is truth? And when he had said this, he went out again to the Jews and said to them, I find no fault in him at all. The very question that Pontius Pilate says, What is truth? Jesus says, I bear witness of the truth. He is simply... The truth. Well, what does that mean? Well, in, in your outline, you've got some uh, definitions of Greek terms uh, the, for true, alethes, which means unconcealed or what's manifest. Um, another word, alethenes, denotes true in the sense of something being real or genuine. Uh, aletheia, or truth, objectively speaking, it's, it signifies reality lying at the basis of some appearance, right? The manifested essence of a matter that you should be able to see. Uh, subjectively it would be more like meaning um, sincerity or integrity of character. Okay? In other words, what these, ver what these words are basically saying is truth is what you see. Truth is at the basis of what we're seeing. It's not what you think it is. It's not what you uh, interpret it to be. It's truth. There is something called absolute truth. Jesus says, I am coming bearing witness of the truth. He is the truth. Now we can look at him and say, well, I believe this way or I believe this way. Or my truth is different than your truth. Fine, if you want to do that, 
But it doesn't really matter. There is a truth that he brought it in the flesh. Maybe I'm being a little nonsensical here. I'm not sure, but he claims truth is real and knowable. We read that in John chapter 8. Believe in him. He is the truth, and the truth will set you free. And he's talking about your bondage to sin, right? His doctrine is the way to truth that frees us from sin. And he faithfully reclaimed the Father's word. Turn over to John chapter 17. Let's see what he says about that. 17. And let's begin in verse... Uh, he, he, this is the prayer. Let's begin in verse 10. And all mine are yours. He's talking about the disciples that he had, that he given him, that God had given him. And yours are mine, and I'm glorified in them. Now, I am no longer in the world, but these are in the world. And I come to you. Holy Father, keep through your name those whom you have given me, that they may be one as we are. While I was with them in the world, I kept them in your name. Those whom you gave me I have kept, and none of them is lost except the son of perdition, that the scripture might be fulfilled. But now I come to you, and these things I speak in the world, that they may have my joy fulfilled in themselves. I have given them your word, and the world has hated them, because they are not of the world. Just as I am not of the world. I do not pray that you should take them out of the world, but you should keep them from the evil one. They are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. Sanctify them by your truth. Your word is truth. As you sent me into the world, I also have sent them into the world. And for their sakes I sanctify myself, that they also may be sanctified by the truth. <clears throat> when you become a disciple of Christ, you are sanctified. Sanctification means you are set apart. That's all it means. Big word meaning you're no longer of the world. Right? Why are you no longer of the world? Because the truth, the word, has sanctified you. The word being God. Jesus bore witness of that. That passage there says, He has faithfully proclaimed the Father's word, which is truth, and therefore, as disciples, it has set you apart. You've been sanctified by that. That means you're no longer in the world. You shouldn't be living as a worldly person. You shouldn't be thinking as a worldly person. And basically, that's because the world's going to die. The world's going away. It's not going to last. You have been sanctified. You are now an eternal being of heaven, of the kingdom of heaven, because of that truth that he proclaimed. By abiding in his teaching, abiding in his word, we can know the truth and the freedom that it gives us. We have a verse, seeking ye shall find. There is nothing in the scripture that can't be found. It's provided. We have the helper, the Spirit will help us find it. We can know the truth. It's been revealed through the Word. Now, I've talked about that before. It's a little bit of a philosophical thing there, right? What is truth? I'm sure you've probably sat around some point, maybe in the middle of the night sometime, with somebody started talking about it. I don't know. You didn't have anything else to do. I have. I've, I've had discussions with people who would tell me, there is no truth. It's just whatever I want to do. It's what my truth is. And I would say, nope. There is absolute truth. As a man, you're not perfect. You can't necessarily know what the absolute truth is because you can only see things here in this world. You don't see 
beyond this world. We have things revealed in the scripture that are beyond this world. We have a truth that Jesus came and gave us to know who God is, what God's all about, and how we can get back to him. I want to live eternally. I want to be in heaven. So if I want that, if I truly am not part of this world, then I would think I want to know the truth, wouldn't you? Anyways, through that truth and through that way, we can have something else. And I'm talking about here on earth too, is life. All right? Now you probably thought I forgot again, but I didn't. Let's turn it over to John chapter 20 and read what John said, what John wrote as to the reason for him writing the gospel. Verse 30, and truly, Jesus did many other signs in the presence of his disciples, which are not written in this book. But these are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that believing you may have life in his name. Man, you know, he's talking about eternal life. He's talking about life in his name forever. But that includes now. That includes a life that you can have now that's very abundant. What do we mean by that? If we know he is the way to God and we trust in Him, and we understand that He is, is the embodiment of truth, we should have an abundant life. Turn over to John chapter 10. Beginning in verse 7. John 10, verse 7. Then Jesus said to them again, Most assuredly, I say to you, I am the door of the sheep. All who ever came before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep did not hear them. I am the door. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved and will go in and out and find pasture. The thief does not come except to steal and to kill and to destroy. I have come that they may have life and that they may have it more abundantly. This is where he's talking about he's the good shepherd and he's the door. We didn't kind of passed over this passage. That's what he's talking about here. He's the good shepherd. Again, he is the way, the truth, and the life. He, through him, through the good shepherd, through that door, we can have life abundant. Turn back over to John chapter 14. And let's go to verse 27. Actually, let's go to verse 25. These things I have spoken to you while being present with you. But the Helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance of all things that I said to you. Peace I leave with you, my peace I give to you. Not as the world gives do I give to you. Let not your heart be troubled, neither let it be afraid. Through that abundant life, we can have peace. A peace that he gives us. I don't mean our life's going to be easy. I don't mean we're not going to have trouble in this world. But because we understand the truth that he has proclaimed and we know that he is the way, we can have peace. Why? We know where we're going, right? Just as he did. We know where we're going. Turn over to the uh, letter of Ephesians and let's look at something there. Ephesians chapter 3. <clears throat> Verse 
verse uh, 14. For this reason I bow my knees to the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, from whom the whole family in heaven and earth is named, that He would grant you, according to the riches of His, of his glory, to be strengthened with might through His Spirit in the inner man, that Christ may dwell on your hearts through faith, that you, being rooted and grounded in love, may be able to comprehend with all the saints what is the width and length and depth and height to know the love of Christ which passes knowledge that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. He gives us His love. He gives us peace. He gives us His love. A love that passes all knowledge. What does that mean? If you're in the world, it doesn't really make any sense, does it? Why would somebody come and die for me? I, I, don't, I don't believe that. That, that doesn't make any sense. But you've been sanctified. You're not of the world. You know the truth. The truth sets you free from that. All right? You ever hear somebody, I don't know, maybe on TV or something, mocking Jesus? You ever heard that? Yeah, I've heard that. I've heard a comedian do that, trying to make fun of him. It bothers me a lot just to hear that. But that's what it is. They're of the world. They're thinking worldly. They don't understand. It's nonsense to them. It's the love that passes all knowledge. What else does he provide? Go back to John chapter 15 there. And let's look. Verse 11. These things I have spoken to you that my joy may remain in you and that your joy may be full. He provides joy. A joy that, I mean, really is inexpressible. It's not something that the world can comprehend. In this world, you, you can have some things happen to you, right? You get some joy from things, right? I, I don't know, a, a, new, a new child being born. That's joyful, isn't it? Very joyous occasion if, as long as everybody's healthy and, and doing well, right? A marriage. You get married. Were you joyful when you got married? If you weren't, maybe something was wrong there. I'm not sure. But nothing like when we see the Lord on the judgment day, right? There is going to be nothing like that that we've ever experienced. It's inexpressible. We can't know what that's going to be like in this world. We just know it's going to be, I don't know what, I can't even think of a word for it. It's going to be unbelievable. That layer alone might, be something that ought to motivate you to live faithfully, right? To believe in the way, to believe in the truth, to have an abundant life. We get an abundant life through our peace, through the love of God, and through the joy we experience as disciples. That's really it. What else is there? Do you have that? Do you have that peace that should come from being a disciple of Christ. Do you have that love? Do you, do you know that love? And I'm not talking about warm fuzzies here. Do you believe you are loved by God that he would send his son for you? Can you have joy from that knowledge, from the, from the, from the, from the life that you're living in him, that abundant life? How do we get there? Well, John 3, Jesus told Nicodemus, you got to be born again. You got to be born of the Spirit and the water. Spirit who regenerates us in baptism, Titus 3, 5, and 6. The Spirit who 
becomes for us rivers of living water, which we talked about in John 7. When Jesus talked about that at the Feast of the Tabernacles, when the water was poured onto the altar in the golden pitcher, commemorating the water that came from the rock when the Israelites wandered in the wilderness. We have to obey. We have to do what he says. We have to believe. We have to change our lives. We have to repent. We have to be willing to confess his name and all that we do. Because remember, we're not of this world. And this world needs to know his name. And then we've got to be willing to be baptized into his name. Raise the newness of life, Romans 6, and carry on faithfully for the rest of our lives. Turn over to 1 Peter. Let's read a passage from there. This is a very good passage. I want you to see this. First Peter 2, and let's begin with uh, verse, uh, verse 21. For to this you were called, because Christ also suffered, for, also suffered for us, leaving us an example that you follow his steps, who committed no sin, nor was deceit found in his mouth, who when he was re reviled, did not revile in return. When he suffered, he did not threaten, but committed himself to him who judges righteously, who himself bore our sins in his own body on the tree, that we, having died to sins, might live for righteousness, by whose stripes you were healed. For you were like sheep going astray, but have now returned to the shepherd and overseer of your souls. He provides us abundant life through the gospel. We can have peace, love, joy, all those things. We're not of this world. We're of the kingdom. Jesus is the way and the truth and the life. He is the only way we can get to the Father, experience the Father, and we will know the truth by believing in Him. He is the embodiment of truth. He is the source of life. And the big question really becomes, is He your truth? Is He your life? Because without him, you got nothing. You just here for a little while, and then you vanish away. And believe me, it's not long. You should know that. You young, you young folks think you got a long time to live. I remember thinking that about an hour ago. I do. I, it's amazing to think on your life, and I, I'm not that old. I don't think I am, anyways. But I'm sure there's some that are older than me would tell you the same thing. Your life is just like that. And then that's it. Then what? What's the point if you don't believe? What's the point if you don't live for Him? What's the point in having a life that's not abundantly in His name? Makes no sense. The world's going to mock you. The world's going to think you're an idiot. You might be persecuted for what you say. But it ain't long. It's over in a heartbeat. Literally. My mother had surgery this week. I was concerned about it. We all were. Anytime you're doing something in the heart, it's pretty concerning, isn't it? I didn't think anything was going to happen. But man, I sure was glad you guys were praying. I sure was glad you had that. I had that and she had that. She was too. Man, how would you live without that? I can't imagine. I know people do. 
But they're just here for a little while and then they vanish away, I guess. They just exist. That's it. What's the point? Today's as good a day as any. If you're not living life abundant in his name, then you need to do something about it. I know we're not in worship service. I'm not supposed to be providing an invitation here. But it's true, right? If you're not living a life that's abundant in his name, man, you, you need to do it, right? And if you are a Christian and you're not, you don't feel like you're living an abundant life, it's time you do something about it. Before it's too late. Don't sense going through life without it. Man, he gave you life. Live it. Live it for him. Nothing greater. Okay, our time is up. Thanks for being here.